We need some alcohol. That's a thought. Welcome back to Dazed and Confused 33 and a Third. I'm your host, Jarf, and we are covering track 18 with Bridget Gelms. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited too. So folks, we have a great track this week. So we're covering the section with the song Rock and Roll Hoochie Goo, (laughs) and it starts with... Pickford asking Don, what are you going to do, man? Hoist it? And it ends with Mitch strutting out of the liquor store like the king of the world. So we get some of the guys getting in a little trouble at the grab and go. We get Cynthia waxing philosophical (laughs) and Mitch scoring some brew. So we get a lot. And I wondered, Bridget, is there something in here, a moment that spoke to you and why? Okay, so a lot going on that spoke to me, and I don't know what that says about me, but but (laughs) maybe we can just start with, this made me so nostalgic for, you know that feeling in high school when like you're kind of going along to get along, even though like you're, you may not be super comfortable with what's happening. I just felt Mitch is so relatable to me <laughs> in this scene. And it just made me think about um, how well I think Linklater captures that feeling across the movie as a whole, but definitely in this scene. That is a great call out. I 100% agree After Don tells the rest of the guys, okay, I'm going to steal the beer. That's what I always do. (laughs) I just need the freshmen to come and be a lookout. And you can tell that Mitch is just all hesitancy. And so he's following him along. But then I'm really proud of him because he does stand up for himself and say, listen, you know, I'm not so sure. I'm comfortable with this. And that's when Don tells him, look, I'm going to pay for it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And props to Don here because we almost kind of expect him to like, you know, bully Mitch a little bit about his hesitancy, but he's just goofing around. And that part where he says, I paid for the beer, man, gets me every time. Like his sense of urgency is just so hilarious to me. Oh, yeah. So you're talking about after, after he comes back out. Yeah. And then the guy comes and pulls a gun on them. (laughs) for smashing his mailbox and just it had just been the vibe was so fun up until that right it just snaps yeah and you can see that they've all got really wide eyes (laughs) yes i know this scene like that part in particular when the guy pulls the gun on them it almost feels a little out of place right because there's like all of these kind of shenanigans and debauchery happening but like literally a guy pulling a gun out is just like so madcap it just takes things like kind of to another level I, i find that so funny It is really funny and also slightly ominous and intense. Oh, for sure. And I have a little fun fact about the guy who pulls the gun on them. So the actor's name is Frank Lerner, and he's the stunt coordinator for the film. No way! Yeah, cool, right? That is so cool. Looking at it through that lens, it made me pay more attention to that moment when they decide, you know what, let's just pull pull out. Let's just get out of here. Yeah. Because if you watch it, it's a good stunt. 
because he's <laughs> holding on to the door and it's a quarter of the way open and they just peel out and he is being drugged along by the car and then he does the forward roll and it looks like they did it at speed. So I think it's neat that he got to have this little role in the movie and then they wrote a stunt for him to do. That's so fun. I had no idea about that. I'm definitely going to be on the lookout for that next time I watch this. I'll also share, as long as we're on the topic of that actor, when this movie first came out and I was much younger, obviously, as we all were, I always thought that was Randy Quaid. <laughs> oh, yeah. He has a strong Randy Quaid vibe, for sure. Randy Quaid energy, for sure, coming from this man. But yeah, he does a really good job of just making things feel really intense, obviously, in that in that part. So I mentioned the song that we have in this section, and it doesn't really kick in until after all of these shenanigans with budget Randy Quaid. <laughs> So it's rock and roll hoochie coo. And I just wondered, did it speak to you? Did you feel like it was working for the scene? It's mostly and it's highest in the mix during the pinball scenes. Mm -hmm. So how is that working for you? Okay, Jarf, I have to say, and maybe this is controversial. I don't know. I mean, banger of a soundtrack like all around but I dare say that like this is the most appropriate song at the most appropriate time in this movie I just thought this was so perfect it's like this party song but it also just sounds like the 70s right like it really imbues that vibe of like alternative youth culture of the times so I think that it fits really well in this scene in fact I would have liked to have heard more of it in this scene if I'm being honest yeah I could I would not mind an extended cut of just hanging around playing pinball at the Emporium more of the song yeah absolutely agree yeah yeah and I almost like I'm kind of lamenting or thinking about what it would have been like if we'd had some of the song in the parts with um Cynthia and Tony and Mike right because I, I feel like we really only hear it at the Emporium but not in any of the car parts if I'm not mistaken I was watching the scene again earlier today with headphones. I think it's low in the mix oh, okay. when they're in the car, almost like they're listening to it on their car stereo, but they've got it turned down mm -hmm. so that they can have their deep, nerdy conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then they get to sort of an impasse in their conversation. And one of them says, we should get some beer. And the other says, well, that's an idea. And then they cut to the Emporium. And it's a great <laughs> edit because it's they cut right to a pool table, the break, and the song really kicks in. So good. And I just love that juxtaposition too. I think it's really genius, this kind of intercutting between like the drinking and playing pool and kind of the cool kids with this kind of random but also very poignant existential conversation that Tony and Cynthia and Mike are having. I just, I think the juxtaposition does a lot to teach us about the various kind of social standings of the different groups, but it's also, yeah, I just love that it captures that feeling of, you know, driving around on Friday night, not really having much to do, and that sense of ennui that Mike really has for his life as a teenager in this small town. It's just so genius. I definitely agree. And I was curious when you were talking about the moment that spoke to you and 
that feeling of being a teenager and just going along to get along, I think is the way that you put it. And if you saw that coming through in that existential conversation in the car. Oh my God, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when I was in high school, I felt a little bit like a big fish in a small pond. You know, I felt a little bit like, man, is this it? Is this all we're doing? (laughs) You know, so I think that scene is super relatable for that reason where like you're kind of on the cusp of becoming an adult but you don't know yet really like what that looks like and what that entails and I don't know that you have necessarily the emotional wherewithal at that age to really kind of process that and so that scene really kind of captures that for me anyway what do you think about that yes I agree and I think that that's one of the strengths of this movie that a lot of the characters, that's their main tension. They're not on some huge quest. They're not trying to get to White Castle or they're (laughs) not trying to ask out the girl or boy of their dreams. It's just that feeling of what are we doing? What is the point? Are we ever going to get beyond this town? Is anything exciting going to happen this night? So I felt like that just made it more universal and relatable. Totally. And I think that that like can speak to a variety of different like contexts too, right? Like I grew up in a very small town, but I have, you know, friends who went to school in very large cities who would probably say the same thing, you know, of having felt the same thing. So I think that that's definitely like a universal teenage experience. Well, speaking of your teenage years, so if they made one of these scenes in a movie of your high school, what would be the song that they use for that scene? love this question so much and I have to tell you I like really had a freak out like trying to figure (laughs) figure out like (laughs) you're not alone don't worry (laughs) so I think I finally landed on something that I can feel good about okay so if we're thinking about like alternative youth culture right of the times the song back to school by the deftones is something that I really closely associate with the time in my high school career when it was I don't know like important to try hard like there was so much tension for me as like a freshman sophomore in high school so like you know kind of Mitch's age of like wanting to be liked but not wanting to come off as though I'm trying at all which ironically takes a ton of work right (laughs) and I this is not to say I mean I don't think that that feeling kind of tracks onto the content of the Deftones song at all but yeah just for me personally but Jarf do you remember this cable channel called The Box this channel on TV called The Box do you remember that? The Box? No I'm not familiar with that but I have to say growing up in rural central PA as I've mentioned previously listeners are probably tired of hearing about (laughs) it by now we didn't have cable Ah. So what is that channel? Oh, yeah. So let me tell you all about the box. This is maybe a little bit tangential, but I promise it's going to come back around. Okay. Um, (laughs) So basically, it was this channel where you could call a number. You call like an 800 number or whatever. And it was basically like a jukebox, but on TV. So you'd call this number. And at the bottom of, of your screen, there was this constant scroll of like current music videos. And you could punch in like an associated code or whatever. It would cost like 99 cents or something. And then they would play the video. And I would get so pumped when this Deftone song came on the box because it was such a cool video. And I had a 
I had a VCR and I, I had this like tape where I would record music videos that I liked as they would come on the box. And then I would just have that tape running in the background when I was like studying or whatever. But yeah, so taking that trip down memory lane of like, hmm, what is the song of my, <laughs> you know, of my high school years? It just, it really took me back to thinking about the role that like music videos played this is like late 90s early 2000s and yeah i think i'm i'm going to go with back to school by the deftones And I just love remembering that pre-internet. You gotta you gotta grab it when it's on the air. You gotta <laughs> pop in that VHS tape and then just wear that sucker out. Yes. But it is funny, like, you know, when you're experiencing that in real time, you're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm, you know, recording a Whitney Houston song off of the radio and then I'll get to enjoy it whenever I want, you know? <laughs> yes, it's free music for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So since you took a tangent. I feel like I can take a tangent too. Yes. Because we didn't talk much about Mitch going in and getting the beer, despite being the most blatant underage customer <laughs> that you could ever be. But the fun fact is the customer before him, the pregnant woman yeah. who's getting her cigarette and her booze. So that is... Kahani Cooperman, and she is the director of the documentary Making Dazed. And she also, for 18 years, was part of the core team at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Stop. So, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, that is such a fun piece of trivia. All right, all right, all right. So what did you think of Mitch's exchange with the clerk. <laughs> so has this clerk just, has he just given up on life and he's like, you're 18, right? Okay, you said it. Okay, yeah. Okay, first of all, I love that throwaway little joke of him saying to the pregnant woman, see you tomorrow to like suggest that she's like constantly drinking and smoking I cigarettes. Oh, right. Oh, and first he was telling her to eat her vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just want to talk for a second about how sweet I think he is <laughs> doing that. I mean, she clearly is like uninterested in the unsolicited advice, but this guy, you know, he's just like passing the time at his job. He's, you know, rapping with the customers. I think that like I kind of read the scene when he's selling the beer to Mitch as like he's almost kind of also doing the like go along to get along right like here he is just at his job being a clerk or whatever and he's really kind of enjoying this like brief little conversation he gets to have with Mitch and I think that's so sweet and endearing totally and he knows how to go with the bit too because the words that Mitch parrots back from Wooderson are about oh he's not sure what he's gonna do now that he's graduated he might just stay working for the city. It's a little bit of money in his pocket. And then when the clerk gives him his change, he says, here's some more money for your pocket. So I love that. And I also love just um, that actor has so many like 
little affectations that just really bring the character to life. Like when he asks Mitch, you know, you're 18, aren't you? He kind of like tucks his chin down and is like peering over his glasses. (laughs) (laughs) The little like the little kind of salute, half salute, half wave he gives to him when he's leaving. It's just it really tells us a lot about who this guy is. you know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So pivoting back to you and your younger years. So which character, and it doesn't have to be in the scene, but just in the movie overall, which character is the most or the least like who you were when you were growing up? Another really good question that, you know, I have a lot of things that I want to say here. So I'm going to try to contain myself because I mean, I think like one of the cool things about this movie is that I can kind of see myself in a lot of different people. But I'll say that I was probably most like a little bit of a mixture between Mike and Pink. And I know that they're like two very different characters. But as I mentioned before, I, I always kind of wanted there to be more out of the high school experience and I think that that tracks onto both of those characters and I had a lot of angst uh which is reflective in Mike's character um you know he's amongst it but he also feels like there's maybe something missing for him right But I think with Pink, like what I identified with him is that I definitely I had a lot of friends in high school. And I think for sure people would probably describe me as having been somewhat popular. But I also kind of like bebopped around from group to group, right? Like I could fit in with lots of different types of people. And I really like that about Pink's character. He's got this home base, right? Maybe he is spending most of his time with some of the athletes and things. In my case, it was more of my home base was more of like the skateboarder stoners <laughs> but nice same same <laughs> yeah. so you know I do I do see a lot of Slater in some of my high school friends but you know I pink is also kind of he can hang out with the nerds and you know some of the other groups that don't immediately intersect with his kind of home base um in terms of least identifying with definitely Parker Posey's character, Ben Affleck's character, anyone who was like super mean, right? I was definitely more of a good time Charlie, just always looking to hang and have a good time. Yes, least like the bullies. That is always my favorite thing to hear. (laughs) I mean, who would say that they do? I mean, wouldn't it be a little sociopathic to be like, oh, I was definitely like Ben Affleck? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Parker Posey's character is funny as hell. It's just in my actual life, I do make an effort not to be a sociopath. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So one of the insights that I like about what you said that I just had never really thought about the way that Mike and Pink's characters connect in their dissatisfaction with their high school experience. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting overlap but also a contrast because pink his feeling like things aren't quite right that might put him into conflict with the football team and the coaches and to some extent the players who want him to just go along with the coaches rules but overall he seems pretty chill and happy mm-hmm. whereas mike it seems like it more eats at him all the time. And <laughs> and he he actually, in this scene, he says something that narrator, he will regret because he says, 
what I think we all need is some kind of visceral experience. And it's like, <laughs> you're going to get your ass kicked later. And I think you're going to really regret those words. <laughs> It's so true, though. Like they both. Yeah, they're they're kind of feeling similar emotions. They both feel really imprisoned by these expectations that are kind of foisted upon them by parents or friends or just like society writ large. But they express that in very different ways, right? Like Pink is so much more internal and like, you know, outwardly he looks like he's, you know, just sort of superficially having a good time and he's super popular and he's great at football or whatever. But here's Mike just like constantly sort of complaining <laughs> about his his lot in life and and that angst that he's feeling. Yeah, poor Mike. I know that we talked about it a bit, but I just wondered, Cynthia's her saying that we're all going to die, so we might as well just experience <laughs> something. How, how did those lines hit you now? Do they strike you differently now than when you watched it when you were younger with a little bit more experience. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. In fact, when I was rewatching this, I was like, yeah, I don't know that like that really permeated me <laughs> when I was young. Like, I'm not sure that I, that yeah, it definitely hit different as an adult. Of course, when you're in high school, it feels like the most permanent thing of all time, right? Like maybe something embarrassing happened to you and you're just sort of like, okay, my life is over now, right? Or yes. um, <laughs> you just feel like this is kind of the end all be all and like, this is it. But of course, like looking back on that now as an adult, it's like <laughs> the most ephemeral thing, right? It was just this like, blip it just really passed by really quickly so I think it's super interesting that they get at that in this part of the script of like you know is there anything beyond this what are we preparing to do when you're kind of amongst it it's hard to have that foresight you know yeah yeah absolutely and everything does seem much more intense when you're that age and it also a short period of time seems like forever oh when you're God. a teenager. Yes, yes. So I think having her talk about not wanting everything just be a preamble to something else and really wanting to have their experiences right now be meaningful, mm -hmm. that does make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think so much of like what you're able to do in high school is sort of dictated by or at least structured by various authority figures right like whether it's parents or like teachers or coaches or or what have you and it's kind of hard to resist that right you're not given a lot of opportunities to do that and so I'm seeing that reflected in some of the conversation that they're having about like you know it feels like they're preparing us for something but for what we're not sure you know and to like lack that big picture can feel very unsettling that is a good point, too. And I like that they have them talking about their high school feels wrapped around them talking about some 70s politics, <laughs> just to kind of situate them as characters. And, and yeah. to be honest, some of it was kind of going over my head because I didn't I didn't immediately get or honestly take the time to research some of the historical references they made. Uh -huh. But I think that the idea was just to remind you of who these characters are and they're <laughs> and they're the introspective more nerdy political types right and, yeah and that's affecting how they're talking about their high school experience too 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely was not discussing W's impact on the economy when I was, a, you know, it was a 17, 18 year old. So that's a great just characterizing moment for them that they're like, you know, they're up on current events. They're thinking about the economy, you know, whereas everyone else is at the Emporium playing pool and drinking beer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if I can shoehorn in a podcast recommendation, the podcast you're wrong about does a great job of revisiting a lot of historical events that happened in our lifetime. Ah. But the hosts are, I think they're older millennials, so they're a little bit younger than me, but a lot of it overlapped with things that happened when I was either a kid or maybe just early college, but one way or another, too young to really be paying uh -huh. close attention to them and really being thoughtful about them. So things like the way Monica Lewinsky was treated in uh, the media or uh, the person who sued McDonald's because they got burned by coffee. You know, uh -huh. they were sort of a butt of jokes for our whole lifetime. But then they revisit that story and it's like, well, they sued for medical damages because they got really, really hurt. Uh -huh. And now it's just like, oh my gosh, people are so dumb. You got to put coffee is hot on the cups. And so <laughs> it's just those kind of things that history has obscured. And yeah, so we kind of need, we need Mike and Cynthia and Tony to, to travel back in time and, and point out the things that we weren't paying attention to. That podcast sounds amazing. I'm writing that down, but I'm also thinking about how Mike and Tony and Cynthia would be like the perfect hosts of something like that because they're so contrarian, right? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I would definitely listen to their podcast. <laughs> well, speaking of cool podcasts, Bridget, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yours? Thank you so much. Yeah. So I co-host a show called Radaptations with my sister, Ginny, and it's a show where we read books and we watch their movie adaptations. It kind of just started off as a mechanism for my sister and I to spend more time together. We live far apart. I live in California. She lives in Minnesota. And then it just kind of snowballed and people seemed to kind of like what we were putting out there. <laughs> and so now um, it's just turned into kind of a fun little book and movie club. And so if you like to read, or if you like to watch movies or frankly if you just like to people often describe our show as like thirsty <laughs> we talk a lot about just beautiful people and so if you're into that the show might be for you nice definitely recommend the podcast and I also wanted to thank our previous guest Heidi yes who introduced us so if you're listening, Heidi, thank you. Yeah, big shout out to Heidi. She is such a she's such a great person and like such a cool content creator herself. A hundred percent agree. Bridget, thank you for agreeing to be a guest tonight. This has been a lot of fun. Oh my god, Jarf, thanks for having me. This is like one of my all-time favorite movies, and so I was super excited to talk about it with you. And thanks for having me. Not to worry, there's a new fiesta in the making. Join us at the Moon Tower, our Facebook listeners group. Until next time, just keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.